what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Going back to like all of the relationships, going back to like people, you know, putting their neck out on the line to bring me onto teams, it comes back to the fact that like they trust who I am and to show up as my authentic self. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. Kashia here. I'm the COO and co-host of the Meet Bridget podcast together with my best friend and partner, Asha Gabriel. I help run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls called Bridget. Thank you so much for joining us today for our season two closer. We've got a very fun and special guest with us today. Before we dive into today's interview, we want to just quickly express our deepest gratitude to our listeners and guests for making this such a personal and memorable season. For those of you who don't know, Asha and I have both been through huge life transitions. Asha recently welcomed baby girl number two into the Gabriel home. And I just brought home my own baby boy a few short weeks ago. So needless to say, this year has been one of the most challenging, exciting, physically and emotionally grueling years to date for both of us. And the fact that we've been able to continue to do what we love and share powerful stories and anecdotes through these changing life seasons has been a gift and a true labor of love. So thank you so much for joining us for the ride. So with that, welcome back. Asha, do you want to tell us a little bit about our guest today? Sure. Today on the show, we have an incredible voice joining us. We first learned of Alexandra Mikolaev from our dear friend and guest of the show, Bettina Bogard. If you haven't listened to her episode, we aired it earlier this season. Please check it out. It's episode uh, number 43. She's an amazing photographer and artist with incredible insight and was just such a fun guest. So Alexandra Mikolaev is a digital marketing and pop culture enthusiast. With over a decade of experience in the tech industry working at companies including Google, Amazon, and now Pinterest, she has always had a curiosity for technology, trends, and how the two impact our culture. As the global lead of creator content and partnerships at Pinterest, Alexandra supports representation through content development while ensuring Pinterest partners with diverse talent and brands that align with our core values. She has been featured on E, NBC Universal, CBC News, the National and in Good Morning America Ad Week, and TechCrunch. We're so thrilled to bring her fresh perspective to our show. So welcome, Alex. Hi. Thank you for having me and congratulations on these major, major life milestones. That's so great. I need to see pictures of the babes after. Thank you. You might, you might hear them. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Uninvited invites. Yeah. So we're so excited to have you here today, Alex. We know we mentioned this a little bit before, but we'd love to just jump right into where you came from, your youth experiences, kind of what being a young girl, Alex, looked like for you. So if you can take us there. Love yeah. I mean, I had, it's interesting to do this podcast because I always talk about my career later in life, but I had a really interesting upbringing. So I'm Canadian. I grew up outside of Toronto in a suburb called Thornhill. And from like a young age, my parents put me in sports. You know, I think it was like a consequence of them both working at the time. And so you needed stuff to do. And I think I was maybe seven 
like seven years old and I was doing gymnastics and the coaches approached my parents and they were like, she's really good. So we want to bring her into this program. So I don't know if you're familiar with Seneca College. It's like a college in Canada anyway. So they would take kids in artistic gymnastics, which is what I did. So like bars, beam, floor, vault, figure skating and rhythmic gymnastics, which is like the ribbon, the ball, everything. And they put us in this program to basically train us from like eight years old for the Olympics. I was in the third grade. There was me and two other girls in the third grade and one teacher taught grade three, four, and five, and another teacher taught grade six, seven, eight, and this was all in one classroom with like a room divider. And you would train in the morning for three hours, go about your school day, train in the evening for three hours, and then train on Saturday for three hours. And so like my whole childhood was the gym and this like one room, you know? (laughs) So I did that for three years. And then by that point I had injured myself. And so I like, basically the doctors were like, my vertebrae was like deteriorating the cartilage in between the discs. It was very Mm -hmm. traumatic. And so my parents took me out of gymnastics and I had to give up on that dream, which like, you know, you're, you're a kid. And it was all I knew. So I was so upset and so confused. And so they put me in another sport right away. So they put me in competitive swimming because they're like, this is not labor intensive. It's better on the body. And my sister was doing competitive swimming. So then cut to like, again, it's very, I'm a very type A person, which you'll discover. Like this was now sixth grade. So by eighth grade, I like tried out for the Canadian national team. And I moved from my hometown team in the town that I grew up in to like a place 30 minutes away. So now I'm starting high school and I'm like training four days a week, starting at like 5 a.m. in the pool, going to high school, training every night, like in the pool and dry land training. So doing weights and stuff and then training on Saturdays. And like, I don't know any life other than that. So I did that from when I was third grade, year seven or eight. eight years old till I went to university. And then in university, I stopped because my back injury was like flaring up. And it just like, I wasn't in it. You know, I loved the gymnastics and I loved the swimming and the aspect of the team and the competition. But like, I didn't want to go like to the Olympics for swimming or anything. So then that was like my entire upbringing. But it was so I always want to tell this story because I'm like, okay. I had a really weird upbringing. There is so much. There's actually just so much to unpack, like, yes. unpack here. I, like, I don't think we Let's were expecting this, which is like great. Okay. <laughs> I have so many questions. So third grade, like seven or, I mean, that's so young. Starting out in such a competitive sport and starting out in gymnastics, which is physically, I mean, that's a great time to start because you're so elastic at yeah. that age. And that's when they get you. Yeah. You know? So did you know at that point, were you like, I'm going to the Olympics, this is my life stream, like as a young child, or were you just like, this is fun? This is like, feels like I'm at sleepaway camp kind of thing. Like, what was that like? Because it's so different from the typical yeah. school experience. Yeah, I mean, 
I had no idea, to be honest, like what I remember still to this day was being so jealous. I have a sister. She's three years older than me. Being so jealous of my sister because like she was doing like soccer and hockey and tennis and all this stuff. And like I was not allowed to do any other sport. Like eventually I think my parents like I went to tennis camp, which like was the best. But like I wasn't allowed to do any other sport. And I remember being so jealous because I was like, yeah, gymnastics is cool. And like, this is what my life is. But I'm like, my friends went to like dance class and all of that stuff, you know? So it was very interesting. And I did, you know, my parents let me do little, I had, I did like ballet and point for like a pro, like a few weeks, you know, like yeah. got to do those things. But I remember being so jealous, but it was just like all I knew. Yeah. Right. And it just felt very routine. What do your parents do? You said that they were working a lot. So this was like a good like outlet for you to like have something to do while they were working. Yeah. So my dad's an entrepreneur and my mom was an accountant. And then my mom ended up at a certain point with the gymnastics and my sister was in swimming and then we were both in swimming. She left her job and it was just like schlepping us to practices, meets, competitions. You know, like she always will talk about like sleeping in the stands of the pool while oh we're training God. at 530 yeah. in the morning because she's like, I'm not sitting in the car. It's the middle of winter. Like, yeah. But yeah, it was just in Toronto. She, in Toronto, <laughs> she really like dedicated, you know, her time to our sports. And my dad was working and traveling for his business. So that was that was just like our family life. Like it was all sports and training. I'm so curious about this, the Seneca school. So you said there were only like a few other people, like even in, in your grade with you. And I'm, I'm always fascinated with, with sports, especially that are aligned to go to something like the Olympics. It by nature is very, and it's like solitary too, like gymnastics, it's you, mm -hmm. you know, like you're on a team, but when you're up there, it's a, you know, solo thing and it's your name. Did you feel competitive with the other students in your program? Like, even at that young age, did you know, like, eventually we could be going up against each other? Or did, were you just sort of like, this is what I know, and this is my life? Yeah, I mean, that's such a good question. Because the two, it was like me and two girls that started in third grade, and we were together It was the three of us. Mm -hmm. And so the three of us, and we all did the rhythmic gymnastics, we didn't do any of the other sports. I mean, sorry, the artistic gymnastics, but like the three of us were best friends like to this day like one of the girls I ended up going to college with you know That's like we awesome. still have each other on Facebook like and I think for me and I don't know if it's a result of doing that individual sport both with the gymnastics and the swimming but like as much as I'm competitive like I don't have a competitive bone in my body when it comes to other people like mm -hmm. I want everyone to succeed my parents have said I've always been like that but like with myself, I'm extremely competitive and strict with myself when it comes to certain areas of my life and like being disciplined. And I think it's a direct result of that. <laughs> yes. I'm also fascinated. So we'll get into this later. But for a long time, when you started blogging, um, you were doing that, but you were also working this nine to five that was kind of on the flip side. You know, this has sort of been a theme for you. But even at a young age, you kind of had this dual life thing going uh -huh. on, which I can totally relate to. But it's like you had school, obviously, is just the common focus of young, you know, kids of school age, but then you also had this intense other focus. And I almost wonder if like, 
just being so occupied with, you know, your ambitions and things that you had going on, it kind of doesn't really leave any room for comparison or competition with others. Do you feel like that's true? It's completely true. And you know what? I, I just had therapy this morning and I was like hashing this out with my therapist that like this timeline and this like schedule that I had since I was like seven years old to your point is like all I've ever known. And I can 100% attribute why now in my life, like I have this like multi-hyphenate aspect and like side career to my nine to five career, because I don't think that I would be productive or happy person if I had like free time. And I, I now, you know, have boundaries and I have free time and social time and all that stuff. But like, I love having the multiple things to do because I don't know how to live with free time <laughs> at all. I feel like you're talking to two people who can really relate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When things got kind of boring, I was like, let's have a baby. Like, for me, it's like two speeds, like either I'm productive, which means I'm stirring like five pots at the same time, mm-hmm. or it's just like, I'm just frozen. You know, yeah. if, like I d- exactly. if I don't have so many things going on and if I'm just trying to do just one thing, oh, yeah. I get like part of me just dies. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's how I feel on maternity leave. I'm like, I need to figure out structures like my recent thing. And Jude is only three weeks old. So I have to give myself some grace. But like, I'm like pulling out my planner, like creating check boxes. Like, what can I accomplish today? And I'm like, yeah. well, I guess it's an accomplishment that every two hours I'm feeding another human being. Literally. And you're like, what small thing can I squeeze yeah, in I'm between? Like, in this 45 minute increment. Like, it's good for you, though, because, you know, it can feel so like all consuming and dedicated yeah, yeah. to someone else. But basically, so. we can relate to like the mentality of like, I'm so happy to hear to that. Have, <laughs> needing to have things to do. And I, like you said, you can create boundaries and create organizational systems for yourself. Like as you learn how to deal with like all the isms and everything of like needing this type of structure in your life, just to be able to utilize your brain in different ways and get stimulation from different things that you enjoy, I think is actually something that's really stimulating and wonderful. So, I mean, you, so you have kind of been doing a lot of things throughout your whole life at the same time. As you hit different transitions in in your schooling and then your career, did you ever feel pressure to like not be that way? Or like, am I doing things wrong because I'm doing too many things at once? Or am I like, you know, jack of all trades, master of none? Did you ever like face any of that like self-doubt or self-criticism or from someone else? And how did you um, handle that as you grew? Yeah, I mean, I think that really came again, like from myself in my teenage years and through college, like I think maybe it was like 10th grade when I kind of like slowed down with the swimming and I was um, more coaching. It was 10th or 11th grade. I can't remember. I went to like my first real, like real, real party, you know, and there was like alcohol there and people were like drinking and making out and all this stuff. And I was just like, I don't think I've ever like been here. I'm like, this is what everyone's <laughs> been doing while yeah. I've been on this like crazy schedule. And it was really fun. And I had so much fun. And I was like, I want to do more of this. And like, I want to be more of like a real teenager, quote unquote, because I feel like I've spent this whole time in this box or in this bucket where I'm not really doing the things that everybody wants to do. And I think that was the first time where I kind of was like, oh, I want to be just like everybody else. And then I went through the motions of like, 
you know, trying to really overcompensate into like being like everybody else, like wanting to go to every party or every night out in college and like every hangout and, you know, that overcompensation. And then you find that balance as you get older. But it was definitely a weird transition from coming out of the sports and then like realizing that there was this whole big other world of, you know, people and relationships and friendship, but also on the other side of that coin, like they weren't, no one was really doing anything. You know, <laughs> They were just kind of like hanging out, but I never had that. So it was like amazing to me. I mean, it, it's, you know, you're entering this phase of your life and like, you know, your teen years where you're starting to see and experience this whole different other side to life. And I'm sure there's like mixed emotions, like you said, like the fact that everyone's doing these things that you've never experienced before. And yet it's so different in comparison to where it's like, it it wasn't really goal oriented, which I I guess is like the nicest way to say it. It's like hanging out and partying and you're like, okay, this is very different from my experience and like what you typically had set yourself up for. So did you know at that point, like, transitioning out of swimming, transitioning out of competitive sports, like what your next step was going to be after high school? Like, was it like, let me focus on creating new relationships or like getting a boyfriend? Or was it like, I need to figure out college and, you know, figure out what my next version of the competitive sport is going to be like, where was your mindset at? Yeah. So there it's actually interesting because it went sort of two ways. I mean, my main focus was like, oh, I need to focus on getting into college. Where am I going to go? What do I want to do? And then on the other side, coming off of the swimming, I got into coaching both gymnastics and swimming. And I loved that. And then with the swimming as well, that sort of coaching, I met people and it really parlayed where then I would go to the competitions and there was like a trade journal for swimming. It was like a swimmer. Mm-hmm. It was probably called like Swimmer's World or something. And I would do interviews with the athletes. So it's interesting that like now I, you know, I love creating content and things like that. But I never really fully thought about like, you know, wanting to do journalism or interviewing or anything. But that was sort of my first taste. And I should also say on like the other side of the coin, in high school, as I was getting out of the swimming and everything, like I was getting like vocal coaching, I did musical theater, that type of thing. Because again, when I was doing the gymnastics and stuff like that, when I was younger, I couldn't do any sports. So my parents had put me in like theater camp. Yeah. (laughs) I sound like the craziest. I always tell them. Not at all. As my therapist, I'm like, am I nuts? No. So I did like theater camp and I was a good singer. So You know, I really enjoy doing that. I loved singing. I did not like performing in front of people, which is ironic, giving all this stuff that I was doing was performing. But then I loved having the like interview conversations and like probing people with questions and things like that. And then when I was going ultimately to pick my major in college, I ended up picking, you know, media and communications and minoring in psychology because I just kind of was like, oh, I really love understanding like how we talk to each other and like how it impacts our culture and the different mediums that we use to do that through. Um, And that's sort of where I built this fascination of it. And this foundation, really. Yeah. And also, like, you do have an amazing voice. Like, it's, oh, it's such a great presence. Like, when you said that, I'm like, that is not surprising. Totally. <laughs> I know. I always, um, I, I like, again, grew up singing. I was like, eventually started training as like an opera singer. It's like very crazy. 
But again, just it. for me, just for fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> no I plans. love it. So I was a kid with like a thousand hobbies and they, I don't mm-hmm. even know where like half of them came from, I think, because I'm so much older than my younger siblings. I think as an only child, you know, for that period of time, you just get creative and resourceful with your time. Were you similar? Like, because you had a lot of very different interests, like outside of your competitive athletics. Or did your parents kind of like know these things about you? Like, did they notice that you had these attributes and kind of like guide you into these directions? With the gymnastics, they really had to guide me at first. I did not want to do it. Like, I did not want to do it. (laughs) And then eventually, like, I, you know, had the sort of, oh, you, you guys were right. Like, I love it and everything. With the singing and the performing and even like the swimming, I loved it. Like yeah. the swimming, I think more so than the actual sport. I think it was like the age that I was in because I was kind of in like a junior high, um, high school time. And like everybody that I trained with was around that age or older than me. So like my sister and I would train together and she's three years older than me. So like it was cool because we'd yeah. like go on swim meets and I'll be at the hotels and like all hang out or we'd go on these like trips to Hawaii for training camps and things like that so like it was like this cool club that I was in and I think because I was younger than so many people I felt like I was like learning a lot from the older people around me and they kind of like took me under their wing and mentored me which felt really nice and then again with like the singing and the musical theater stuff like I was just good at that and so I liked it because I was like they're like you're the lead and blah blah and like that for for me with my parents I was always just like oh well like this like I love like I could be a star you know (laughs) yeah the confidence came very easy there totally (laughs) what was like your your first step as you graduated college because I think for a lot of young people you know, especially with a life that's very scheduled with a lot of activities or sports, kind of living this very kind of structured life. And then you graduate college and it can be a little bit of a shock where it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, like I don't have classes or grades or tests and, you know, or schedules with competitive, you know, if you're playing for your school or whatever, you don't have such a tight schedule from somebody else. Suddenly you graduate and you have to kind of recreate your own schedule. What was like your first move as you were graduating college? Um, okay, well, folks might hate this because I went and I did my MBA. Like, I kept yeah. going to school and I did an accelerated MBA that was like a full 12 months. So cool. I went and I did that. But then after that, what I will say is I like took a real break. Like, I took a summer off because, you know, of course, like all through college, every summer I would work, I would volunteer, like, I would always volunteer with. We had Toronto Fashion Week. And again, like I was interested in like the communications and PR and events. And so like I always volunteered with those things. And so like after doing that full 12 months of my MBA program, my parents were just like, you need to take a summer off. Like you need to chill. And so me and like two of my best friends that were my roommates in college, like the three of us all took the summer off and we just chilled and it was so foreign to me at that point but yeah. like in a nice way and I think I was older at that at that age like I was in my early 20s but like I was aware that of what burnout was and I was like okay I, this is okay for me to do and like maybe you know not having this crazy schedule and my only thing is like go work out and you know go to my friend's pool and hang out is 
cool, like read a book, you know, that's not a textbook. So I did that and it was really nice. And that was sort of my first taste of balance. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I love how supportive your parents sound. Oh, I know. They're like, they're really supportive. You know, they're like your two immigrants move to Canada, build their life, and they just want their kids to, you know, be the best versions of themselves. And of course, Mm -hmm. you know, they were disciplined with us as well. And school and grades were the be all end all of everything. But I think for the most part, like, I had a really loving, optimistic, and positive upbringing. Like if I like, I just ran off how many activities I did as a child. Like if I wanted to try something, it was never no. It was always try and you know see how it goes. And I think that's given me a sense of confidence that like trying something and failing doesn't mean you're bad. It means like you tried. Yeah, totally. No, I was gonna say it's it's very rare. I think we've had a lot of guests, and Asha and myself are are both first generation American. I mean, Asha from your mom and myself from my mom. And one of the things that we hear from a lot of our guests who are also first generation Americans or they or they have um, emigrated here is that they've grown up in households where the emphasis has been on the academic portion of it and that they've been swayed away from the more creative disciplines. So mm-hmm. I think it's really cool to hear that your parents who were still very much, you know, involved with the academic part of it were also, you know, aware enough to be like, okay, well, if we're busy, you're going to be in a sport. And like, yeah. this is, you know, this if is we're busy, going to be. you're going to be busy. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and, you know, they, it sounds like they had a sense of strictness about it, but it gave you the freedom to do something physical with your body as opposed to just only be so one track minded. Yes, academia. for sure. I love it. Well, okay. So during this time off with your roommates, I really think that rest is such an important part of, mm-hmm. um, you know, our brain development, our physical development, integration of what we've learned. Did you have any like moments of clarity during that time of like, okay, like this is what my experiences have been up to this point. This is kind of like my next step. Or did you kind of emerge from that rest just being like, had a rest and like, you know, start without too much like planning or thought ahead of it. No, I mean, it's definitely the former of what you said where like, again, I feel like I have all of these like memories, these points in time of memory in my mind. And I remember that time, like my schedule was very much just like, wake up, go to the gym. Like maybe I would like play tennis again go hang out at my friend's pool, come home, go to dinner or like eat dinner with my family, like watch TV. And I remember being like getting to the point, like going through the emotions of like, this is wrong, this is bad, like I should be doing more to like, oh, I love this, da, 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 to like, this is okay. Like it's okay to take time sometime for yourself and recharge. And I realized like, how fuzzy my brain felt to ultimately feeling like good and having clarity and like feeling renewed, a renewed sense of focus. And I was like, oh, I think this is important to incorporate in like everything that I do. And then of course being the, you know, time blocking person that I am, I'm like, it's okay to like block rest in and breaks and stuff like that. So it really, again, was one of those formative moments where I was like, oh, this feels nice. And I don't think I can do this all of the time, but I think it's important to do some of the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you talked about like 
seeking out new opportunities or interning or volunteering Mm -hmm. for a lot of different things after graduating. And you also mentioned the fact that failure was not a hard stop for you, which I think is a huge life lesson that takes so many people a very long time to learn. So I think it's really cool that kind of early on you'd already established this for yourself. So can you share with our listeners, um, some of whom are young women and and men and, and, you know, whoever else is listening, who are also looking to seek out opportunities at that time in their life, like what are some of the tips that you have for that? Or how did you seek out those opportunities for volunteering and being involved in things that interested you? Because it sounds like you just obviously didn't have these things fall on your lap, but like, no, created these opportunities for yourself. Yeah. I mean, okay. First of all, going back, like volunteering was always a component of my life through my grandmother. So, you know, as I said, like my parents were working a lot. It's like, on the Sundays where I didn't have sports, like my grandma would take me to the basement of her church and we'd cook in the soup kitchen and feed people. And like, you know, that was again, my like routine. So I always grew up volunteering in that capacity and I loved it. Like I loved being with my grandma. I loved the feeling of service. And so again, like when I was ready to apply that like skill or that feeling or thought to things that were going to help in my career, I very much approached those conversations with people coming from a place of service. And it really, you know, at that time it was like not Facebook and all of those things. So it was like going to my teachers or, you know, trying to find people on the internet and like trying to track down their emails and like cold emailing people to be like, here's my resume, here's what I'm going to school for. I like have a history of volunteer. And you know what, you know, at that time when you're younger and like your, your jobs are like camp counselor. So you want to beef up the volunteering side or internship side. And so I like would just basically try to like pitch and sell myself through these emails or through like connections that, you know, my teachers gave me, or maybe my dad had a friend or a client that knew somebody and like, it was very much that like hustle and pitching myself and to the point of failure like I didn't get yeses every time like I got a lot of no's but just like not doing my best to not like place so much weight or emphasis on the no's and like yeah be bummed out but then like you know 24 hours later like dust yourself off get back up and like there is something out there that's going to get you to that next step. And like the last thing I'll say is just like, I very much have sought out my entire career, but especially in college when I was new as like these stepping stones. I'm always like, oh, I just have to get to like that step and then I can get to that step next. I like that, putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. What I'm also hearing too, as you like describe this process of, you know, applying to your first jobs and opportunities is, you know, from a very early age, you hone this ability to create a personal brand. But I think Mm -hmm. when we hear like personal branding, it can sound very much like I have to pick right now what I stand for, create it, like carve it into stone and then share it with the world. And what I hear you talking about is that it was very actually like a fluid process. And it's like, okay, like I'm going to brand this for this way. And like, so I can try this opportunity. And if that doesn't work, like, okay, I'll like shift this little thing with myself and, and try this thing. And you know, with your career unfolding into blogging and then into, you know, 
digital partnerships and mm-hmm. working there, it's like that is definitely a skill to be able to create a personal brand that's also flexible. Absolutely. The transferable skills. Let me tell you, like after my MBA and after my summer off and everything, my career started in finance. Like I am nowhere near finance anymore. <laughs> yep. Amen. But like, Sister, me too. <laughs> you know, having those transferable skills and being able to speak to them. And like you said, like, you know, massage them into what you want your personal brand to be is so critical. And it's something that everybody can do. And I think that oftentimes, I always try to talk about it in when I do interviews and things like this, but like oftentimes people don't see that because they're like, oh, I want to pivot into this this industry or this career, but I don't have any experience. And it's like, yeah, babes, you do. Like you just have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Sometimes the people that are best suited for a job too are the people that are not coming from within the industry. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes the industry needs to be shaken up by an outsider who just is really naturally adept at like whatever it is that they do. At Allo, so I, I used to work in all of our partnerships with influencers and corporate partnerships, sponsorships, endorsement deals at Allo Yoga for nice. a while. And I was I started that that, um, that really the department. And for my first hire, like started my department and for my first hire, I was interviewing people and I I knew a girl in the space that, you know, didn't have a lot of direct experience, but like very much embodied the brand and was like young and hungry. But we also, another person I was interviewing was um, someone basically who was doing the same thing at Lululemon. And I went to my mentor and was like, I don't know what to do here. You know, I'm like, part of me feels like the safe bet is to hire the Lulu girl because she knows like activewear. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she was like, honestly, go with your gut. She's like, it's so much easier to reach, like to train from the get go, like someone that's like heads in the game is willing to, to work and adapt and, and be there fully than to like Mm -hmm. retrain someone else's potentially, you know, ineffective way of doing things. So I ended up hiring the the newer person that was from something, you know, different at the time, but it, it was a great choice. And then, yeah, you were able to help that person also develop and be mentored and build new skills. And like, that is also an amazing part of your story and what you're capable of doing, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, necessarily hiring the person that you're like, oh, they already know what they're doing. So this is going to be easy. Like you had to work harder. And in turn, you also developed new skills, but so did this person and they got an amazing opportunity because of it. Can you tell us a little bit about like, you know, after you finished your MBA, after you had your break, what was like the first step that you took that was like, break is coming to a close? Like, what was the first thing you did when you decided that you were like done with that phase? I was like, oh, I want to go work in finance. And so again, (laughs) girlfriend gets on the horn. She's like, dad, who do you know? Teachers, who do you know? emailing like I would probably looking back now say like I was a little bit overly ambitious why finance I you know what I think I just like thought that it was like I it was just like the the job I was like oh that is like if you can get a job in finance and like commercial or capital markets like you're gonna be successful like you know like that's success yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> I think it's coming out of the MBA too. Everyone's like, I'm going to be an eye banker and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that was just success. 
And so in my mind, and then also like in my MBA, it turns out, again, my undergrad was like media, computer science. Like I took statistics and stuff, but like I was very strong in the like finance and accounting and everything. So I was like, oh, this is successful and like I'm good at it. Let me try it. And so, yeah, I literally like was trying to email every like female senior VP that I could get my hands on on LinkedIn or whatever for a meeting, like just like meet with me. And I would go in and I'd be like, you have like this rotational program or I see this job posted and here's why I think you should give me an interview and da 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 da. And again, I got a lot of no's. I got months and months of no's. But then eventually I got a yes to be accepted into one of the rotational programs. And um, I, yeah, I did it. And I was in finance for two years and I realized very quickly it was like a misogynistic hellhole. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, anybody in finance, but like I couldn't stomach it. And I was like, I have to get out of this. Like, this is not my path. And like I said, like you accept that it's not working out for you and you fail fast and you, you know, recalibrate. Yeah. I think there's so many nuggets to take from that, by the way. Like (laughs) listeners, rewind like two minutes and just like the action of like getting the job and emailing and seeking out these female VPs and doing that work, I think is so significant and is just a part of that like magic hustle that gets you to where you need and want to be. And I think that's such a great attribute that you have that a lot of people can learn from. And for young people, if you are interested in finance, there are some great companies out there that like (laughs) very much prioritize like women advancing through leadership and stuff. But um, you know, I had a similar experience. It was also when a different time. It was a different time. Yes. Like there's some, but like, don't lose hope if that really feels like your dream, like <laughs> still go, you know, but like, look, when you're interviewing, when you're reaching out to people, ask those questions, say like, yeah. what are the, like, how, do you see mobility for women in your organization? Like ask those questions point blank, because um, there are still quite a few companies where that and it, feel empowered too. And you know, now I get a lot when I am like, I'm not in an interview process for candidates for Pinterest. Like there are times when there are women of color in the interview process that ask to speak to, you know, a female of color working at the company to hear their experience, like feel empowered to ask for those things during the process. If you are, you know, questioning, your decision making or you want that added insight like you're more more than allowed to ask for those things and i think sometimes people get scared because they're like oh i don't want to annoy anybody or i don't want to lose the job because of that it's not a big deal and honestly it communicates that you're being thoughtful and thorough and those are all attractive qualities for someone who's trying to hire you yeah i think that that piece of communication that now exists within companies at least the companies that you want to work for it's sort of like being in any relationship. Like you ask the question and whatever the response is tells you so much about Mm -hmm. that space and that place. Such a good point. So if the answer is no, you're like, well, maybe that's not the right place for you (laughs) if there's no transparency. Another thing that I really want to stress because I think I'm very fortunate and there is a huge thing of luck here. Let's be real. Like I feel lucky in the sense that a lot of this like hustle and confidence came natural or organically to me. Like I know that it didn't come natural or organic to a lot of my friends. I know it still doesn't in this day. I'm in my 30s to like my peers or people that I mentor. But like 
as much as you have that voice in your head being like, oh, I shouldn't bother that person. I shouldn't email that person. There is nothing wrong. You know, if I get an email for a cup of coffee or a Zoom meeting, like I am trying to schedule as many of those as I can. Like, and if I can't, I will tell you. And it's not about you. It's about my schedule and like my time and the boundaries I've set now in my life. But like, don't be afraid or automatically like disqualify yourself before you even try. Right. Because it is so important at that time when you're starting your career and you're trying different things to find what you like, that you are bold and that you know that like all you can do is try and put yourself out there. So if there is that voice of like, don't do this or I feel bad or I'm not confident, like try as much as you can to push it to the, you know, the shelf and whatever, because you just, that's, that's the time. I just want to stress that. Yes. And I think that's such a good point to make to people because even the experience of reaching out to someone, not hearing back and reaching out Mm -hmm. to them again, try a couple of times because a lot of times like people just have a lot going on. Like don't assume that like maybe a no or a lack of response is like, oh God, they hate me. Like I remember being young and like really trying to put myself out there and I was like, oh, no, I was right. I suck. (laughs) You know? And like, that's why that's why I didn't respond. And it's like, Unless you did something seriously offensive, which is hard to do when you're like a young mm-hmm. and earnest student, it's usually just they it slipped their mind. It's so busy. yes, yep. put yourself out there. One of the greatest things I've ever learned from therapy was just not to be a mind reader, to like take yes. that pressure off of yourself to start assuming yes. what the response is because you just never know. You never know. So yeah, I think that's incredible advice for, for anyone listening at any stage in life because it's yes, just a good exactly. reminder, honestly. I'm like, I need to stress this point. <laughs> People don't care enough to, to hate you, honestly, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. or be super annoyed with you. Like yeah. maybe if they're annoyed for like one second, like good riddance, but then like they're on with their day, yeah, you know? Correct. So Especially with the speed of information now, it's like everyone's on to the next thing. Yes. So put yourself out there. Yeah. What did you do? Okay. So what did you do after, after you decided finance wasn't for you, you made another shift. What were like the next steps as you got more into um, what you're doing now? After the finance was really sort of my foray into tech. And that's where I've been over the last, I've been there since what, like 2000 and oh gosh, like almost 12 years. Ah, so weird. But basically I was like, I was doing the finance stuff and a part of it was like managing a portfolio, book a business, relationship management, yada, yada, yada. And again, one of my friends from college, she was working at a digital ad sales company and she was like, you know, if you don't like tech, I feel like you would be really good at like digital ad sales. Like this is like a new thing and you like studied media and everything in college, but also you have like the relationship management and the sales experience. I think you should like come and interview. We're hiring account executives. And so I got into that. I got that job, stayed there, really like built my understanding of the digital and tech space for like two and a half years. And, you know, again, this was still back in Toronto. And I will caveat this by saying that, like, Toronto and Canada in general is a much smaller market than the U.S. So, like, you think about the U.S. market and we always say it's, like, Canada is, like, 10% of the U.S. market. So it's, like, a smaller pond. You know, at that point, Google had come into Canada and YouTube, which, again, was a part of Google and everything, but they were, like, 
I had a friend that was at Google and, you know, she was like, I think you should come interview for like our team, our retail pod and blah, blah, blah. So I did that. I was successful there. I stayed there for like a year and a half. People from Google left because then um, Amazon opened a media group and they opened their headquarters in Toronto. So some people left Google and brought people with them. So I was like the ninth person to join Amazon in Canada. And then I stayed there and the culture of Amazon was not it didn't gel for me the way that Google or like any of my previous digital companies did. And so I like, again, made the decision of this doesn't feel right. It's not sitting well with me. And I left Amazon. At that point, again, I took like another break because I was feeling very burnt out and the stress of the job and like everything. And I was fortunate enough that I could take a break um, and deal with some of my mental health. I was going through some depression, and again, just like needing some downtime and getting back in that go, 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 go mindset and like realizing, oh, you need to like find that balance. And so I took that. And then my story from here on out is very like situational where, again, being so small in Canada, like you work in that industry for some time, people know who you are and they're like, oh, I have like a job. Come work here with me or do this. Mm-hmm. And I like did a hard left. And I was also doing the blogging and the social media um, on the side. And I did a hard left from digital ad sales at that time. And I had, I was approached by our like sports broadcast network. So like the ESPN of Canada to um, work with their on-air talent to basically at this time with Instagram and the rise of social media, their on-air talent was getting inbound requests for paid partnerships on social media. And so they brought me on with like the sales background, the digital background, the influencer marketing to build out their influencer strategy for their on-air talent with their like business affairs and legal team. So I like built that out for this like broadcast network internally. And yeah, it was like, I, I was like doing consulting for them for like a year, just over a year. And during that time, Pinterest came to me because they opened in Canada and they're like, come be an account executive here. And I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. So I took this contract and I did the consulting for the broadcast network, the sports network. And then like a year and a half later, Pinterest came back and they were, they basically said like, we have this like strategic partners um, and creator manager role for Canada and we need to hire somebody like, would you interview for this? And I was like, yes, that's the job that I want. And so that brings us to 2018, 2019. Yeah. And started in Toronto. Pandemic happened, was promoted to a couple of other roles within the company. And then now I'm in LA as of May of last year. Yeah. Wild. Sorry, I really fast forwarded that, but that's like everything was kind of like, oh, this person was like, come interview for this. And I got that job. Come interview for this. And I got that job. So again, I cannot stress like the relationships that you form and just the networking and putting yourself out there. I can attribute so much of my career to. And then, of course, you know, doing your job well and being good at your job and, you know, having results. But it's really the relationships. And I think like in order to have people kind of like offering those positions or ideas to you, people have to have a sense of like what you're about, what you're good at, Mm -hmm. what you enjoy doing. So I think like when you're having those relationships and meeting people throughout, you know, your professional and personal experiences, 
like sharing your passions and interests and talking about things that really like lit your fire, you know, it gives people opportunities to be like, oh, I know the person for that because they have a sense of what you're, you know, you're really into. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Which also brings me to your social media page because you have some pretty impressive stats. Like you have over 41,000 followers, like you put out content regularly. It's content that's mostly centered around pop culture. But I really love, and I think what your followers love, is that you have a very creative, funny, and like fresh perspective on everything. So it feels very new and it feels very you. And I think that really lends to what Asha just said about having this voice that seems very clear and open and um, allows people to see you for, you know, the talent and the skill set that you bring to the table. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you create content and what interests you and how you keep that side of your daily life going? Sure. I mean, yes, all of the pop culture stuff came out of a result of like, I used to share so much about myself on social media and I was like, wait, I don't like this. (laughs) And so I was like, I'm going to talk about other people. And I really enjoy doing that. And I really enjoy talking about like shows and the celebrity news and what's happening. But I think, again, this has sort of been when you talk about that personal brand and when I talk about it being very natural, you know, I always, I've always, always, always been a a very curious person. And again, going back to that piece of like being competitive with myself, but not anybody else. Like I have certainly, like I can say this now in my three decades of living, like I'm certainly never like approached anything intentionally by like being an asshole. And I always say like, you don't have to be an asshole to be successful. Like You can be nice, you can be supportive, you can take a back seat, you can lift other people up, you can shine. Like, you don't have to be an asshole to be successful. And I think, again, like, going back to, like, all of the relationships, going back to, like, people, you know, putting their neck out on the line to bring me onto teams, it comes back to the fact that, like, they trust who I am and to show up as my authentic self. And I feel like that's really what I've done on social media as well. It's like, you know, if you meet me on the street or if you see me in a video, like I'm actually going to have the same opinion, the same attitude. Like I have no desire to be snarky for views or whatever. And maybe that's a result of the fact that like it's not my full-time job. So I'm not like gunning for building this audience so quickly, but I'm like, I have my community. I love my people. I always say that it's like a group project where I do most of the talking. I love that sense of community and I always have. And I think that it just comes down to not being a dick like, yeah, I love- and not coming across, you know? Totally. I, I think that translates really well because all of the videos that I've seen that, that I've seen you do are really funny. And like they are like, even if they're serious things, like you just bring like this fresh joy to it. Like even when you're being slightly like, sarcastic cheeky there is or, yeah. yeah exactly cheeky is a good word for it like there is no semblance of assholeness to it which is great but within this the world of social media we all know that like bullying is a big thing do you ever mm-hmm. have to deal with anything like that having you know a more public platform and putting yourself out there 
Oh my gosh, yes. And like throughout the pandemic with Black Lives Matter and, you know, even now with Roe v. Wade and speaking out. And I, I think what I've loved, like loved I'll use for the purpose of this conversation, but I didn't love the situation. Like through the pandemic, through Black Lives Matter, through everything that we're experiencing now, through the election, like what I have appreciated, I think is a better word, is seeing the different influencers and people with platforms step up and use their voice and, you know, put a stake in the ground of where their opinion lies. And we haven't really seen that before. And so, of course, you're going to get like a lot of negative feedback. Like I've gotten, you know, with like even the Meghan Markle stuff, like I love my girl Meg and I have opinions on her, you know, as like a mixed race woman as well, that I come from both sides like it's not all you know sunshine and rainbows but like I get so many racial comments or so many things about like if I'm talking about you know women's rights or things like that about with men coming into my dms or commenting on my videos being like oh it's all fine until like you want them to buy you dinner like even stupid things like that and I'm like first of all I can buy my own dinner. We're good. But second of all, like, you don't know me. And like, it's just, it it comes with the territory. And I I think, again, it's intrinsic to me now, especially as I'm comfortable with myself and I'm older. And like, I don't care. It used to really bother me and like bum me out. But now I'm like, I would rather have an opinion and speak to that opinion and know that that opinion might positively influence or give other people the confidence or strength to, you know, own their opinion, then like worry about what Joe Blow is saying about buying me dinner or somebody <laughs> like saying I have a pig nose, you know, like right. Someone whatever. doesn't even have like a picture on their profile and is like clearly hiding behind something themselves. That's their own clear issues. It's yes. like let it go. Yes. <laughs> and so it's like you you focus on you focus on the good, you know, and what you can control. I love, I think something that's like so inherently unifying about you is that you're kind of straddling this like corporate side, but also like being in an influencer's shoes yourself. And, you know, I think that a lot of the temperature out there when it comes to social media or some like bigger media companies in general is it almost feels like two sides, like the corporate companies Mm -hmm. and then like all the influencers and the creators and like we don't understand each other, you know, but you're kind of in this place where it's like you've actually taken your experiences from like the perspective of a creator and been like, yo, this is actually valuable. And you've realized that like these companies need that insight and they need that representation. And I think that, you know, more of that attitude of like, I can be both at the same time and that actually creates more value in the middle is so important my experience at Allo, I kind of felt something a little bit similar because I was hired by them. I was in finance. I literally took my finance job for the same reason. <laughs> I had been doing some other things. Same and I was journey. Like, same journey. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should just like try the thing that I know like my family will be really proud of. And like, if I can, if, if I can have a stockbroker's license, like that's right? like, boom, I made it. And my you know, dad's like, woman, oh, you yeah. can go work in finance for 30 years. One job. One hundo. And I was like, <laughs> maybe I'll just take the, instead of actually figuring out what I want to do and how to do that for the rest of my life, like, I'll just do the thing that like, you know, so anyways, worked in finance, got totally burnt out, like left and then was like, what am I going to do? But was reached mm-hmm. out to by Allo because I had modeled with them before. 
I knew a lot of like the influencers that worked with the brand and they were like, you're kind of in the camp with them that we want to work with and that we're working with presently. But you're also like in the camp of us because you have like a, you know, corporate university degree. You have a corporate background. Like you understand like how to keep a nine to five job. And I remember feeling like, yeah, wow. Like I didn't know that this is a job that the being the ambassador between the two. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your day to day and how you kind of like shift seats between, you know, the corporate side, being a creator and how you sort of like, you know, communicate that information back and forth. Yeah, of course. And like, thank you for, you know, sharing your experience as well. And I'm laughing because it's so similar. And I love, first of all, I love the evolution of like corporate culture, which I will also say is a lot of companies now, especially digital media, will bring on people that do have their toes sort of dipped in that influencer or social media understanding. Because I think what is so important more now than ever is understanding the voice of the customer that you're talking to. And so if you have people in the room and at those like different levels who understand who you're talking to because they are who you're talking to, it can make a world of difference in how you approach that customer and how you interpret what their needs are. But again, like with Pinterest, I'll say like I'm super, again, lucky in that They knew exactly who they were hiring and what I was about when they hired me in Canada. And it's only ever positively impacted my performance and my time at the organization. Because first of all, I never let it get in the way of my job. Like that is first and foremost. Like Mm -hmm. my job comes first. I am very lucky that I, to the point of everything that I've grown up being and doing, like know how to balance things, but it's never impacted where I felt like I'm like, competing between two worlds. It's always felt very intertwined and integrated. But then secondly, like it has been so beneficial to the conversations that I have with creators because they come to the table with somebody like me and there is already this feeling of camaraderie and understanding of like, oh, like you get me. So I there's more of an inclination, like an easier inclination to work together because it feels more seamless. It's been interesting and I feel lucky that my company sees that and respects that and encourages it because it has only, only helped me be better on both sides. And I feel really fortunate about that. But I also think that I can attribute so much of my success in this like digital media world to the fact that I always stayed curious and was, you know, doing the blogging stuff, doing the social media. It's like I found this perfect intersection that I would have, wouldn't have had otherwise. Have there been things that you made sure you did with your social media to make it so that you had the opportunities corporately that you have had? Like, have you had to kind of like have certain filters on, not like actual photo filters, but like, you know, guidelines by like, okay, like I want to be my authentic self, but I'm going to stay professional by doing things this way. Or have you kind of felt like you've been able to like do both completely freely? How did you kind of navigate that? I mean, the biggest thing I would say just like being very tactically is like, I don't really like post myself like drunk or drinking. Like I'll post myself drinking and things like that, but like not like, and I'm saying obviously now like I'm older, like I'm not out there raging, but like, you know, in college and stuff like that, I was never like posting myself like crazy partying and that sort of thing. I always in the back of my mind, I think because I got involved in social media and blogging so early on, I was like set boundaries here. Like, and like, I'm very sort of calculated in what I not calculated, but calculated in what I share about my personal life. So like, 
dating, relationships, down to like location and where I am, like I don't necessarily always share those things just because it feels like a privacy thing for me. And I think those are probably the two biggest things, like the drinking, any partying I've kept to a, a degree, like I will obviously show some of that, but there's that. And then there's also just like what I share about my personal life. And I share a lot about like myself, like my mental health or whatever, but like I won't post, and this is this is not necessarily like a corporate thing, but in all sincerity, like I won't post a friend, I won't post their kids, I won't post family. Like I ask everybody their permission, you know, like yeah. even if it's an Instagram story, like can I post this? Can I tag you? Like I don't want to put people's business out there that they don't want out there. And it's just a personal choice, but you know, most people are cool with it in this day and age. But again, it's just like an important boundary to me, but I think it's something that's worth, you know, noting because it goes back to that thing of respect and that thing of understanding that, you know, what I'm comfortable sharing might not be what everybody else is yeah. comfortable sharing. And I want to, you know, respect that. I think it's great, especially now, because we've gotten to a point where a lot of teens and young adults are now digital natives who are used to putting everything out there. And I think we're kind of on that cusp where we still remember when it was not that way. And perhaps that's where this kind of comes from. And I think we have a responsibility to remind people that like, one, what you put on the internet is always on the internet now. Like, no matter how far back it is, like everything's searchable. So it's a fingerprint. And in knowing that and in living in that world, I think it's important. We have to be really careful about the things that we keep private. Like it's fun to share everything in the moment, but I think having that, you know, extra step and respecting your boundaries for yourself, boundaries for other people, like you said, what you assume for yourself is not what somebody else is necessarily going to feel. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really important. And I think for anyone listening that like, you know, is inspired by this path and like that kind of like working corporate, but also having, you know, your own blog and voice and creator profile, you know, going on. I think it's such an important point that you sat down and you're like, these are my boundaries. They might not be the same mm-hmm. as anyone else's, but being thoughtful about that, like, okay, what does this mean for me right now? The other people who rely on me in different roles. And what does this mean for the like, future aspirations I might have? It's so clutch that you were thoughtful about that. Yeah. No, thank you. Well, as a Scorpio, I can say privacy is sacred. So. Yes. <laughs> but that's the thing, you know, like I think also it came down to when my friends started having kids and stuff as well, right? Like yeah. a lot of people don't want to share their kids or they have a private Instagram. Like my Instagram is very public. Yeah. So, you know, can I share this? Can I take a picture with your kid and post it and blah, blah, blah? Like that's like what... I care about because I want to respect again like you said where they're coming from but you two just made such an amazing point that because I don't have kids like I didn't even think about like for younger people I was thinking about it for myself but like for younger people what you're comfortable sharing might not be what your friend is comfortable sharing or information that you know about them they might not want you to go out and share just because you think it's fine like it it really I think it is important to be I said calculated but I think a better word is like intentional with how you use social media. And I think I've always been intentional and that's been to my benefit with my career. Yeah, I'm curious, working in like on the corporate side, obviously all of these companies, these social media companies, 
they are businesses, you know, and sometimes I feel like we're like, oh, it's a business. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. yes, like if people are going to be working to create this thing for you to use, like it has to be a business. Otherwise, it won't exist. Can you tell us a little bit about like from sitting on that side of the table? Where do you kind of see things going for social media? What are like some of the priorities for what you're doing with creators? How does that make business sense? Can you give us a little bit of a window into that perspective? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I can't really speak to work things because that's, you know, work. But I think in terms of trends of what I'm seeing and I'm noticing with this, you know, generation that is so digital first and digital focused, like there's there's a few things. And I'll start like lowbrow with, you know, the authenticity, like People can smell if your shiz is going to stink real fast, if you're not being authentic or, you know, people are out there digging through the history, trying to get people canceled. We've seen it happen. Like, you know, just staying true to who you are and like, you know, being that person is first and foremost because these kids do not have time. You do not have time to waste your energy on investing with people that are not showing up as their true self. So I think that's like a big one that's happened and been happening, but I think it's going to continue. To build off of that, though, what I would say the biggest thing that I'm seeing now is really this idea of like community. You know, it's not the person with 2 million followers, even 1 million follower. Like, yes, they have their their people, but it's like these smaller sort of like micro and even lower macro creators that like have these very highly engaged audience because they're building that community. You know, they're like doing the Q&As, they're responding to DMs, they're giving recommendations, they're they're on like Discord and, you know, Twitch, and they're hosting these like actual community-based conversations that feel two-way that we haven't really done before. It's always sort of been the like cookie cutter, perfect influencer. And I post and I go about my business. But now it's like, you know, I'm sitting here. I always laugh with myself with like my lives. Like sometimes I do lives on TikTok and like I'm like making dinner. And the conversation is everything from like what's Chris Evans doing to I'm bummed out about this job and I need advice to like what is the recipe to where's that top you're wearing from, right? So like People just want a sense of community. And I I really, really, really think that's the biggest thing that we're going to see. It's not going to be the like biggest and brightest influencers or even celebrities. It's the ones that are really able to connect and build a community that are going to have longevity. Um, And then again, like on the other side of that coin, how do these apps adapt to those changes and trends? And where does that come from? And that's what I'm very curious to see. Yeah, me too. But I I mean, I appreciate that it's moving in a more authentic direction. I mean, for a while, we were like kind of in the sticky wickets. And I was like, oh, God, this feels like an episode of Black Mirror. (laughs) Gen Z did not come here to play. Like Gen Z is no BS. (laughs) They're like, if you are not doing this, And I don't feel like I'm living my truth by consuming this content. You're out. I mean, (laughs) we have just like, there is a bold new generation that is coming Mm -hmm. out to play right now. I love them. Yeah. I know. They're like, let's do therapy. Like, let's be real. You know, let's connect with each other. 
it's actually exactly like 22 Jump Street, like the scene where, <laughs> where they like go back to the high school and he's like, no, you have to wear your backpack this way. And he's like, hey, man, like I'm in drama. Like this isn't cool. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, this is exactly what life is like. Yes. Like I actually really like it. I would have. I know. Made, I would have made a killing if this is the generation I were born into. Right. right? I mean, it was like, <laughs> wrong That's OK. We can be ambassadors to them. Yeah. Right? I was like, yeah. way, too, way, way too sensitive and empathetic for my time. But I know. I know. We're here now. We're here now. Love it. I'm well, in it to win yeah. it with this generation. Please adopt yes. me. My sister, who's eight years younger than me, like I'll say something and she'll be like, please don't, please, please. I'm like, Cara, I'm still cool, I swear. I know, me too. Well, I honestly, this has been so much fun, so joyful speaking with you and so enlightening. I feel like there are so many nuggets of truth and just like, just pathways to success like learning lessons in every like minute and a half of this episode so I'm really oh, excited to share this we'd keep you all night if we could but unfortunately I know I could cannot. talk to you both all <laughs> evening but yes you also have your babes to go get to I know well <laughs> we, we might have to do a part two I mean happy let's, to let's not write any so of it good. off the table so as we close one of the things that Asha and I really love to do is we love to close out with a fast five and then um, and then a more serious question. So the fast five is just like a fun and easy fast five questions just to kind of like lighten up the mood, which let's do it. We're already there, but I can go ahead and start. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? So this came from my therapist, but I, I apply to every facet of my life now. And she said, you can bend over backwards for people, but you should never break your back for them. Extend your boundaries, help people offer your support, but you should never do it at the expense of all of you. Yeah, love that. Number two, what is your favorite way to unplug? Two ends of the spectrum. Number one, going for a hike or a run or a walk with my dog, like getting outside in nature, the best. On the other side of the coin, like a glass of wine and bravo. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love like it. Like mindless below deck and housewives. <laughs> I love it. So number three, most essential habit for a successful day. I notice I don't always stick to it, but like getting up early and not going immediately on my phone and doing like a meditation or even just like getting up and making my coffee and sitting with myself before doing anything with technology. And I don't do that every day. I'm not going to lie here. But it just sets you up for a totally different energy of how you approach your day. Yeah, that's a really good one, especially because you're so plugged in. Yes. Even the first 10 to 15 minutes of your day, like get up, you know, pee, brush your teeth, make your coffee, and then look at your phone, like changes everything. But I, I am guilty of not doing that every day. Um, what is one thing or an idea that you're just super passionate about right now? I am in conversations around like doing some sort of podcast for myself with some of my peers potentially. And I really am excited about the potential ideas that we are brewing because I love, I love podcasting. I love what you're both doing. I love that it provides value to people or entertainment even and 
yeah, I, I want to get involved. So I'm super pumped about that. And I'll probably come to you both for tips. Oh, I love that. I love that. We, I mean, we got down into the nitty gritty of it. So ask away. Like, Thank we'll, you. We have I'll be all, back. We have all the good tips mm-hmm. and all the horror stories. So. For love sure. <laughs> equal parts. Uh, okay. Um, number five, what is your least favorite thing about the internet? Just how, how much you have to be on it. You know, like <laughs> as a content creator, like, just how consistent it is. Like some days I'm like, I don't care yeah. what the Kardashians are doing. But if I don't talk about this, you know, it's going to impact me. But that's it. Like even more so, again, like I don't really take on the energy of trolls and stuff like that. So that that doesn't, that's not yeah. it. It's just how much I got to be on there. Yeah. Because I do it for my job too. So, you know, when I'm not on there, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you do a great job of balancing. <laughs> Thank you. Ashi, do you want to go ahead and close it yeah. out with our final question? Yeah. So we always like to ask our guests if there uh, was a quality that you had when you were young that maybe at the time you didn't really appreciate, but looking back, you really are proud of and appreciate now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I think it's come through in this whole conversation. It's just that blind faith, like that optimism that no matter what I would be okay and you know it's led me through failure it's led me through good times and bads but just that blind faith and I never realized it but to this day my parents will talk about how I always was just like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it like I I I keep saying like I think that had to be natural to my personality because I don't know where I would have picked that up And so I think it is just that optimism and blind faith. Amazing. Well, Alex, I am so, I can speak for both of us, I'm sure is just in saying that we are so grateful to have had you on the podcast. And I think it's so fitting. I mean, we are an organization and a podcast that we're all about confidence and communication and how those two things are, you know, virtuous Mm -hmm. cycle, they strengthen each other. And I think that your path and your courage, your confidence, you're, you really are a example walking of confidence and communication. So we're thrilled to have had you here for our 60th thank episode. You so yeah, we can't wait to share this one. So thank you so much for your time, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. This was an awesome conversation and I love what you're doing. So thank yes, you. let's do a part two Absolutely. soon, later, whenever. But I really respect this this like platform and what you're building. And thank you so much for having me be a part of it. And also, before we head out, where can our listeners find you? Pimp yourself out. Oh, Let yes. us know where people can follow you, listen to you, and just Literally more all of you. over the internet. Any <laughs> any platform, any app you have, I'm at Lex Nico, L-E-X-N-I-K-O. Like from Be Real to Pinterest to Twitter to Instagram, like I Lex Nico is just where you'll find me. <laughs> I love it. We can't wait to hear your podcast. This is so exciting. Thank you so much for your time. This has been just so wonderful. This has been a blast. Thank you both. Bye. Bye, guys. Catch you next season. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?